Well, good morning, everybody. Why don't we take our Bibles and open to the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. And we will be focusing in on, for the next couple of weeks, verses 16 through 26. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 26. So as you turn there... um, want to just remind those who are new with us that we go through books of the Bible and we find ourselves, as we have been going through this specific book, the book of Galatians, we find ourselves now in chapter 5. We believe that this is God's word to us and so we want him to speak and we want to understand what he is saying to us. So that's, that's kind of how we have arrived at this passage and so what I want to do is I want to read, <coughs> excuse me. I want to read verses 13 through 16, but our passage today will be 16 through 26. Verse 13 through 16, the Word of God says, For you were called to freedom, basically family, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity For the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Let's pray. So Father, in these moments that we have together now, we ask. We ask for your mercy to come upon each and every one of us. We ask that we would see you high and lifted up. We ask that you would be king over this moment, over our hearts. That, Father, we would follow you all the days of our lives. I plead that your Holy Spirit would come. And there would be such a filling of your people in this place that there would be a hatred for sin. There would not be a softness to sin at all. We would stop being okay with what you are not okay with. And yet there would be this beautiful, unique, precious, greater awareness and heightened sensitivity to your beauty and your greatness and your sufficiency. And that we would be a people who walk by your spirit. For those in here who do not know Jesus, meet them, I pray. Change the heart, convict of sin, and the beauties of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I remember when my children were pretty young, um, we did not have our youngest two yet, Mercy and Justice. So we just had my two oldest, Elijah and Jaden. And in the past, we had uh, gone before go-kart riding, and I would 
you know, you can ride a go-kart and you can do the two-seater. So you can put a kid with you while you're riding. So my kids had experienced riding in a go-kart as a passenger. But we found one summer a go-kart experience where young kids could ride the go-karts. So, you know, kids saw it. They were begging like crazy to ride these go-karts. So, in all of my parental wisdom, I said, this is great. So, um, we get there. Dane and I are on the same page. They should be riding this, and this was going to be fun. But I leaned over, and I said, boys, here's what you got to do. Don't ever touch the brake. Just go at it. My wife didn't know that I had said that. Wasn't trying to hide it. We were just over here doing our man thing. She says, you tell them, you prep them, you get them ready. She was over there getting ready to take a picture. Come up, don't touch the brake. Well, like, that's pretty fun until the end. So what happened is, is now they they get going and they have all this freedom. They're just like, I can ride this go-kart. I can do whatever I want to do. And so they have all this freedom and they're hitting this gas and they're going around and they're zipping in and out of each other and stuff. You know, they're getting the whistle blown on them because they're hitting each other a little bit. And then it comes the end and they kind of wave for you to pull into the end. Well, my son Jaden he goes in first, and he hits the brake to come to a complete stop. My son Elijah, he's a little more literal, and he did not hit the brake. <laughs> and with all the full force of the go-kart, he just goes right into that lane and tags Jaden right in the back end. And you hear this, <laughs> I mean, the whole park seemed like it stopped. All heads turned. What was going on? And so Dana was like, what was he doing? I was like, I told him not to hit the brake. <laughs> and uh, so that was not one of my more shining uh, parenting moments. I needed a qualifier for the end of the, end of the ride. So my, my boys had all this freedom. But as you have this freedom, you've got to learn how to use that freedom rightly. Paul's looking at us in here and he's saying, you've been set free. You've been given this freedom to go. To go and to live for me. But how are you going to use it? How are you going to use it? What does it look like to take this freedom and use it as an opportunity? This is what he's getting at. The whole thing that frames verses 16 through 26 is this idea of you have freedom. Now how will you use that opportunity for love? Look at verse 13 with me. You were called to freedom, church family. Remember we said last week, that's freedom from the penalty of sin. It's freedom from this final day condemnation. You will not be characterized by your sin because of simple faith alone. This book, the book of Galatians says you are justified, declared righteous and not guilty before God on that last day. Even though you are guilty, you are declared not guilty. And when you stand before him on that last day, you will have his righteousness clothing you and you will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, not because you were perfect, but because you trusted in his perfect son. And there will be this beautiful, full acceptance. And so he's saying you are set free. You're set free from trying to earn your way into God's love. That freedom is there by simple faith alone. You're set free. You're freed from the penalty of sin. And on that last day, you will not receive condemnation. Paul says, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. 
But he says this, verse 13, only you have this freedom, but don't use it as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. He knows that this freedom is not just a freedom from the penalty of sin on that last day, but he also knows it's a freedom into an intimate relationship with God. It's called union with Christ. There's this mysterious union and united relationship that you have with God where he comes and lives inside of you. So he knows he can ask this. He knows he can say, you're set free and that freedom, you now have the power to love. You're set free into a relationship with Jesus and now use this freedom as an opportunity not to keep living in the flesh, that is the sinful nature, in the old way. Instead, use it as an opportunity to show that God is alive in you. Who is God? He is love. Show off that God of love in your life. So, freedom gives opportunity. Will you hit the brake or not? (laughs) Will you walk with Jesus, submit to his spirit, live in the new man, or will you keep wanting to run back to the one that God has delivered you from? It says here, the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, as we look at today, We've got to think, what does it look like for us to use our freedom rightly? There are three things. One, these verses right here teach us that the first way we use our freedom rightly is we put on love. We put on love. The second way is that we acknowledge the war. We acknowledge the war. There is a war that is going on. And number three is that we walk by the Spirit. How do we use our freedom rightly? We put on love, acknowledge the war, and walk by the Spirit. So, let's look at this. Put on love. This is exactly what Paul is speaking in verses 13 and 14, that we have been set free to love. He's telling them they're set free from the enslavement and entrapment of the Mosaic law, And you are set free into a relationship with Jesus. Only use your freedom as an opportunity for love. Love is hard. Love requires sacrifice. Love requires supernatural working in the heart for it to happen. As a parent, as imperfect as I am, I fight to love. What's that look like? You got to wake up earlier than you really wanted to. You make meals. You run around to do things for kids because you love them. You discipline them. You sit and read with them. You help them with homework. You listen to their pains. You pray with them. You play with them. You clothe them. It's a good idea, parents. You teach them. All of these things are love. It's love and it takes a lot of work. A lot of sacrifice. You don't always want to do it. But it's also love is not only doing those actions. It's not only what you do, but it's how you do it. Because in 1 Corinthians 13, as we talked about last week, there's this sense of how you do it matters. 
I can be making meals for my kids and be an irritable dad. I don't know if you've ever been there to do a right thing with an irritable heart. Paul says love isn't irritable. So when Paul lays out love, he's not only saying we've got to do the right thing, but we've got to fight to do it in the right way. This is why he's like saying, okay, the game has changed. Sin is no longer your boss. You've been set free into an intimate relationship with Jesus. There is no way I could call you to be love unless God was at work inside this heart. But the game has changed. Desires are new. The heart's been turned upside down. I live inside of you, so what I'm asking is not impossible because I'm for you always, always, always. Now love. So I can be a good listener. But I can do it with an impatient heart. Stop listening well. Seek my own way. Love speaks to both actions and demeanor. And I just want to encourage you. Last night we had a memorial service for baby Sky Loftus who passed away at 24 weeks in the womb. And there were many tears, but there was remarkable hope. And as I heard J.D. and Rachel share from their heart, it was so beautiful. I literally got up here. They had asked me to preach a little five-minute sermon, and I scrapped the whole thing, and I was just like, that right there, their lives are a sermon. They showed what it was like to struggle and to weep and to hurt and still say, but in my lowest times, yes, I will praise your name. I will worship you. Though you give and take away, I will worship you. And it was so precious. And how in the world do they have the energy to look out at a sea of people and say, what I think is most precious right now is not only honoring Sky's life, but telling you about the greatness of God and still saying, I hurt like crazy and I weep like crazy. Where does that come from? It comes from what God does inside the human heart. Charles Spurgeon says it this way, a child of God is not expected to be stoic for God's grace takes away the heart of stone. When we endure trials, we feel pain. Do not ask to be made hard and callous. That's not how grace works. Grace makes you strong to bear the trials. But we still have to bear them. Grace gives us patience and submission, not stoicism. We should feel and benefit by feeling. This is where love begins. It is not stuffing the feelings and acting as if the pain isn't there. Second Corinthians tells us that love comes when you're open with those feelings and the comfort of God comes and meets you and then you give that away to others. That's what I saw yesterday. I saw it. The supernatural grace of God coming inside the heart, the Holy Spirit coming in who has softened their heart 
so that they were free both to weep and to pour their hearts out to God and also say, I love you and I want you to know this God. Friends, I also saw it. I saw people who got here early and sacrificed to set up this place to make it look beautiful. I saw people getting together, community groups getting together in order to plan a meal. I saw a music team that came and set up and prepped and worked hard to serve them and to honor them. I saw people who gave of their Saturday night to do uh, the sound and the slides just so that they could serve them. I saw people coming from this church to bless them. That was love. Jesus says, when you consider others more significant than yourself, you are loving. And so, how in the world do we use this freedom rightly? We choose love. Both actions and demeanor, we choose love. But also, how do we use it rightly? We acknowledge the war. For this is where Paul takes us. He takes us to the fact that there is a war going on. Let me read verse 16 and then I'll flip back up to 15. Verse 16, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's speaking to Christians and he's saying, set your gaze towards Christ and walk towards Him. Walk towards Him. And if you do that, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now he goes on to say, but there's a war going on because, verse 17, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. Speaking to Christians, there's a war going on in the heart. Not one person perfect, everyone fighting, laboring, flesh, Christ. Which way will we walk? Paul says there is a massive war that we so underestimate day by day. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to one another. World War III, exponent 10 million, this is the war. Our war is not against flesh and blood. It's not against one another. A war is against an enemy who wants to crush our faith. And wants to turn the faucet off on love. That's why he said in verse 15, if you hit the rewind button and go up. But if you bite and devour one another. Watch out that you are not consumed by one another. This division in the church, this looking down on one another, that comes in and it rips the church apart. And he says, if you participate in that just a little bit. You're walking according to the flesh. And we are destroying Christ's church. John Calvin says this, How distressing, how mad is it that we who are members of the same body should be leagued together of our own accord for mutual destruction. How maddening it is. It's as foolish as me standing here with my fist and just taking it and punching myself in the face. You'd be like, what has gone on with you? Paul is saying, yeah, there's a war, but it's not with one another. The war is a war of the heart. The war is a war against sin. And so we've got to acknowledge the war. 
What leads us to not walk by the Spirit, but to gratify the desires of the flesh? Look at this. Look at verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 19. But now the works of the flesh are evident. They're clear. It's clear what it looks like to walk in the flesh. And these are not exhaustive, but they are pinpointed at what is going on in the Galatian church. And this is having to be preserved in God's Word because although it is evident to the spiritual, those who are choosing to walk in the flesh are not seeing how they're walking. There's a blindness. But it's evident. When you just step back and you look, there is flesh and there is spirit. And it's clear which is which. And so he just gives the list. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality. Impurity. Sensuality. Idolatry. Sorcery. Or false religion dabbling, so to speak. Then there's enmity and strife. Hatred and internal discord. There's jealousy. Not being glad for the progress of others. There are fits of anger. Rivalries. Dissensions and divisions. Envy. Drunkenness. Orgies. And things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now that verb, those who do such things, it is those who continue to keep on doing these things without a regard for walking in the Spirit. It is not a one-time thing. It is a lifestyle. But he is saying these are evident. So why? Why do we all struggle? What is it that makes us give attention to the flesh and not walk by the Spirit? There's a lot of reasons, but I think we could probably summarize it in maybe three ways. Desires seem too strong. Circumstances seem too all-consuming. And God seems too small. Why do we do certain things? We just want to. The heart desires it. And it just seems so strong that we need to give in to it. Or, in times of suffering and difficulty, we look out at all the things that are going on and it just seems too overwhelming. It's just too much. So then we're tempted to give up and we're tempted to dive into whatever might numb us, fix our deepest anxiety or our deepest pains, and we participate in the flesh. And when that happens, we can look at our circumstances and we can think that God is absent. We can think that God is not good. We can think that He isn't all present, that even though He might be powerful, He doesn't work for me with all that power, and so something is missing, and all of a sudden God begins to shrink All those 
All those are lies. Paul Tripp speaks about it in, this, in his book, Suffering, in this way. When you're suffering, he says, the more you focus on the thing you're suffering, the bigger, more complicated, and more impossible it becomes. But something else, even more significant and life-shaping, is happening at the same time. As your difficulty looms larger and larger, those circumstances get bigger and bigger, dominating the vision of the eyes of your heart and controlling your thoughts of your mind, your Lord seems to shrink in size and power. And I love this next line. Few people suffer from the fact that their God is too large. That's not what usually makes us painful. We believe he's so large. Most of the time we're thinking, where is he? Is he good? Is he enough? Is he sufficient? Will he show up? Will he do what he said he's going to do? And so, Tripp goes on to say, because your field of vision and the center of your thoughts are now dominated by your difficulty, God's awesome glory, the hugeness of his power, the comfort of his presence, they don't consume you. Fear then has room to kind of settle in. Your suffering has already taught you that you are not in control that you are fairly weak and definitely not independent. This means that in your heart of hearts, you know you can't handle your difficulty on your own. So it's spiritually devastating and emotionally paralyzing to fall into thinking that God is small, distant, or lacking in power that you know you desperately need. And so when you get at the end of your rope like that, what is the temptation? The temptation is to gratify the desires of the flesh, to not walk in the Spirit. Paul is acknowledging this is what happens. You listen to those false teachers. You listen to some of those voices that were trying to create division. You listen to those circumstances that were coming in and are overwhelming you, and you gratify the desires of the flesh. I want to read one more paragraph from Paul Tripp. He says this, And when fear rules your heart, you don't see or think about life accurately. You function with distorted vision that causes you to make wrong conclusions and bad decisions. And because fear your, distorts your vision, I love this line, you trouble your own trouble. You make things worse. So follow me. Why do we gratify the desires of the flesh, we don't acknowledge there's a war going on. And we begin to have our God shrink because our problems get so big and fear begins to dominate our lives. And what happens then is not only do we have the suffering or the pain that got us there, but then we trouble our own trouble by gratifying the desires of the flesh. By addicting ourselves to something, by numbing ourselves to something, just look at the list. We give ourselves to some expression of the flesh and we add trouble to trouble. It gets worse and worse and we thought it was going to make it better and better. We've got to acknowledge there is a war going on in the human heart. And when your desires seem too strong, C.S. Lewis says that's not your problem. It's that they're too weak for something greater. We don't sin because our desires are too strong. It's because our desires are too weak. 
for the glory and greatness of God. We trade His beauty for something that could maybe immediately satisfy us only to find that it's destroying us, adding trouble upon trouble. Oh dear friends, we all fall in to that battle. But how do we use our freedom rightly? We choose love and we have to acknowledge there is a war going on in our heart that leads us to not be able to see things rightly. Which is why Paul has to write the letter in the first place. They don't see rightly and they need one another. So, the final step of how do you use your freedom rightly, you see it in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's about direction. I grew up so paralyzed because the way I was told to grow up into Jesus was to actually look backwards at all the bad things that I did do or could have done and try to avoid those things. And so I was just looking backwards of, man, I can't believe I did that. And so I try to work myself out of that mess and then, well, what if I do that? And I, everything was backwards looking. But here's the deal. Why is it that everyone kind of intuitively walks forward? Where God gave you eyes, right? They ain't back here. Just makes sense, you know? You're walking this way. Why don't we walk like this? Because eventually, if you're a klutz like me, you're going to trip. You're going to go off these steps. You can't see. Paul is saying it's all about direction. In the scriptures, biblical change is not primarily about what you avoid. It's about what you go after. And if our gaze is always about avoiding this thing and avoiding this thing and avoiding this thing, you will get tired and exhausted and you will quit. Because the only thing that is your hope is this freedom that unites you to a Savior that if you stop looking at, you lose the power. Looking backwards, it's all on you to avoid everything that's coming. Looking this way, it's running after the king. And he'll tell you what's in your way. And when you look at him, it's not that you don't see sin. No, you're walking with Jesus. And it's like, okay, that right there, it's going to trip you up. Stop this. It's not that we don't acknowledge sin, but it's all about trajectory. He's using the image of walking intentionally because we're walking towards Jesus. That's why it is so intuitive that if I'm walking this way, I'm not walking that way. To walk by the Spirit is opposed to walking in the flesh. We have dumbed down Christianity to avoiding law. Galatians is telling us 
Freedom is not freedom from law. It's freedom to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what we go after together. Rather than avoid this, avoid this, avoid this, avoid this, do this, do this, do this. It's walk by the Spirit. If you are constantly thinking about what to avoid, you will live in fear. Not security. You will live in your own strength rather than in Christ's strength. Biblical change is more about who we pursue than what we avoid. David Pallison says, Biblical change doesn't come by looking in the mirror. You don't just stare at yourself and all your problems over and over. Does that mean you totally neglect what's going on in the heart? No. You've got to look in the mirror. But good night. Don't stay there. (laughs) Not a comment on your looks. Don't stay there. Biblical change comes by looking somewhere else other than you. It comes at looking to Jesus. If you think I'm just making up this image, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 18 and 19. Beholding the glory of God, we are changed from one degree of glory to another. Beholding God. Look at Him. Love Him. Treasure Him. And as you walk, you will see areas where you must grow. But oh dear friends, don't miss the beauty of justification by faith alone. We are fully covered in the righteousness of Jesus. The final verdict is finished. It is finished. We stand. We stand in Christ. And so, what does then it look like? I had someone text me the other day, Pastor Sean, can you tell me, what does it look like to walk in the Spirit? I was just like, Thank you. Such a great question. Because I don't know if you're like me. Like, okay, walk. I know how to walk. That's about all I can tell. What does it look like to walk by the Spirit? Where He's leading you and guiding you. I want to lay out three things. One, set your mind on things above. Set your mind on things above. What does it look like to walk by the Spirit? You have to do the hard work of your mind. Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. If you have been raised with Christ, that's the freedom talk. If you've been set free, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Go after them. Walk. Pursue. Because that's where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. He lives inside of you. You've got a new boss, a new king, a new ruler, new power, new affections, a new heart. Set your mind on him. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. Set your mind on things above. My wife was leading a, um, a devotion from uh, Proverbs chapter 3 in her school where she was. And uh, just took Proverbs chapter 3 and it said, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways. What's the next line? Acknowledge Him. 
And it was just opened up for discussion, and one person chimed in and was just like, what does it look like to acknowledge him? And he just pressed that image in, and it was like, okay, so if I'm walking down this aisle, I'll look at you and I'll say, hey, how you doing? I'll look at you, hi, how are you doing? What would it look like to not acknowledge? It would be like, I'm not talking to you, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm looking the other way. I'm going to pretend as if you don't exist. It makes so much sense when that person sitting in front of you, it's like, I'm not going to be so rude as to walk right past them and not acknowledge them and look them in the eye and, hey, how you doing? This is that war again. God is always with us. He's always there. He's never left. Whether you're going to work, whether you're going to the gym, whether you're going shopping, whether you're at home, whether you're training, whether you're watching TV, what, he's always there. What does it look like to just say, God, hey, I love you. I acknowledge your presence. I acknowledge that you are here. I acknowledge that you are better than anything I could give my life to. When the computer is turned on, when the phone is open, I acknowledge you're with me. Set your mind on things above. This isn't about, looking backwards would be, oh man, I didn't think on him for that moment, I did on this moment. And you're plagued by the fact of, I blew it here, I failed here, I didn't do it here, I didn't do it here. How about looking this way? And as you walk, God help me to see you. Help me to acknowledge you. The only way that happens is setting your mind on him getting yourself in his word committing his word to your mind i've had a hard time sleeping recently the other morning i woke up at 2 a.m and could not go back to sleep from 2 to 3 i was just up and my mind was racing racing and finally kind of at the end of myself, it's like, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of not being able to sleep and just letting my mind think about all kinds of things. I'm just tired of it. God brings Psalm 37 to my mind. And from 3 to about 3.45, I just said, I literally cannot turn my mind to think on something else. What do I do? I just read Psalm 37. And I said, I'm going to try to commit this to memory because good night, my brain is going every which way but loose. And after about 30 minutes, the Lord broke this sense of obsession with thinking about circumstances and thinking about things. He broke it. And I was able to focus on his word. I was able to see how good he is and how faithful he is. And those promises went from hollow substantial took some work set your mind on things above walk by the spirit the other one is word and prayer word and prayer they're intimately connected one is the active setting of your mind the other is committing yourself to be in the word as a regular discipline and calling out to God in life where do I get that this is walking by the spirit Ephesians 6 is one of the classic texts that says the word and prayer are what you do when you walk in the spirit he says and take the helmet of salvation the sword of the spirit which is what the word of God the sword of the spirit is the word of God 
You want to be under the waterfall of the Spirit's work, you be in the Word of God. And then he says, praying all, at all times, what? In the Spirit. What does that mean? It means you're calling out to Him for everything. For everything. And just saying, not my will, but yours be done. It's asking for everything and it's surrendering everything. It's a both and, not an either or. As Praying Life, Paul Miller's book encourages us with word and prayer it's just god keep deepening it keep deepening it keep deepening it deepening it may we never stop may we never settle may we never feel as if okay i was really good in this season i can tell you this will happen you'll have a good season with the lord and then something will kind of knock you off a little bit and then you'll begin to coast and you'll begin leaning back on past work only to find out that that well began to run dry because you are not fighting day by day. I want to caution us. This is not just were you in the word and in prayer a month ago and did God meet you? Yes, and he will continue to sustain you. But this is Psalm 1, morning and evening. I meditate upon you. Dear friends, you're going to be so tempted to hear law. I need to do this at a certain time. I need to do this at a certain time. I need to do this like he does it or she does it or they do it. That is not what this is. It's walking by the Spirit. It is saying, God, I set my face towards you. And so then the final step of walking in the Spirit is just as you pursue Christ, you love others. You love others. And that's what he says in Galatians 5.22, right? One of the most famous verses in all the scriptures. But the fruit of the Spirit. How do you know you're walking in the Spirit? There's things that are produced in the heart. Love, joy. If you want to chime in with me, you can. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those things are the fruit of what it looks like when you walk in the Spirit. It is considering others better than yourself. And so now you see the cycle. You see the cycle. How do you use your freedom rightly? You choose love. You acknowledge the war. And then you walk by the Spirit. And part of walking by the Spirit is continuing to choose love. And to acknowledge the war. And to fight. And to walk with Jesus. Dear friends, I want you to know you are loved and our God is sufficient for everything you will face. And every single morning that your eyes open, you have everything you need for what you will face. And so I encourage you from one Weary soul to another. Walk with him. Walk with him. Day by day. Don't be suspicious of him. Trust him. He'll give you everything you need. He's a treasure worth running after. Let's pray.